Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first 2017 edition of the Compact Nation podcast. I'm Emily Shields, Executive Director of Iowa Campus Compact, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm J.R. Jamison, Executive Director of Indiana Campus Compact. And I'm Andrew Sellingson, President of Campus Compact. Great. So we are actually recording this in 2016, but you will hear it in 2017. And we decided to do something a little different with this episode. Um, We're going to kind of talk about 2016, preview 2017. And to do that, we're going to share some of our thoughts. And then we interviewed actually a few people. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, But first, kind of just, you know, using this uh, time of year when you reflect and kind of plan for the future to just look back on what we're excited about from 2016 and wanted to start there with what what stood out to you guys what's on your mind what was the best part of our work in 2016 for you I'm gonna make somebody else start so Andrew why don't you kick it off all right uh Let's see. I I will say 2016 was, you know, I think we know it was a complicated year in the world and all that. And we've talked about some of that before and don't need to go down that path. But I I feel like for Campus Compact, it was an exciting year. And for the movement that we're part of, for the public purposes of higher education, it was an exciting year. And, you know, some of the things that really stood out to me, we've been and some of our guests that we'll get to later, we'll talk a little bit about this. So I I won't go on and on about it, but we as a network engaged in a process where we, as part of our 30th anniversary celebration, asked presidents and chancellors of uh, member institutions of Campus Compact and even others, actually, if they were interested in, we asked them to sign on to what we call our 30th anniversary action statement, which really recommits colleges and universities to the the fundamental values that motivate this community engagement work, the values of democratic citizenship, of creating just and equitable and sustainable communities, uh, of challenging inequalities that undermine democracy and and other things. And so the statement, you know, in signing, they commit to those values and they also commit to developing what we call the campus civic action plan to share publicly with their campus and with communities they're connected to how they're going to continue to go deeper in pursuit of these these values. And so a lot of 2016, after we sort of secured those commitments, and now we've had 450 colleges and universities across the country sign on, a lot of our work has been really supporting campuses and doing that. And I, I think we've talked about this you know, in a couple of different ways on the podcast, but for me, just really the opportunity to sit down with teams from our campuses with faculty members, sometimes with students, with senior leaders, uh, folks who coordinate the engagement work through teaching and research, uh, who foster connections of other parts of institutions like the way the institution purchases, purchases products or develops real estate, just to get to talk to these folks and see the kinds of things they're committed to, the kinds of ways they want to work together, the, the motivation people have to continue to maximize the impact of their work. That was really exciting for me. And um, so it was, you know, it it felt, I think there was a decision made by our board really to make our 30th anniversary focus on action, not sort of, nobody was interested in just spending time congratulating ourselves on all the things we've done over 30 years. There was this sense that we really need to do something because 
the world needs it. And so, yeah, just seeing all of that work happening and knowing that the challenges we face right now, there are lots of people thinking and working very hard to move us to a, a kind of a better place. Yeah, very cool. Um, JR, what, what do you think about when you reflect back on 2016? 2016 for me was an exciting time, mainly around the 30th anniversary and when we all convened in Boston. If you count my time as a director in Campus Compact, an associate director, a program director, being a liaison from a campus, an AmeriCorps member directly from a state campus compact, I've been involved with this organization for about 16 years. So to come together for this big national conference, you know, the first one that happened in a long, long time was really exciting to see what was it, Andrew, like close to 700 people in the yep. room having these conversations, celebrating the work that we do, but having conversations about our path forward and seeing that there was so much support and momentum for this work, I think set me off on the right foot. I know that we were into March when that happened, but that was still early on in 2016. So it really paved the way for uh, reinvigorating the way that I view this work, the way that I want to engage with the members in my state and such. I have to also say I'm kind of a fanboy of Robert Putnam. So that was a, a big part <laughs> of my excitement around attending that. And I actually reached out to Robert after the conference and I'm like, you have to come to Indiana. And he emailed me like, who are you, you crazy person? <laughs> no, he didn't say that, but he did reject me, but in a very nice way because he's not taking any speaking engagements for the rest of 2016 um, due to other commitments that he had. So he didn't shoot me down in a bad way, but I was a little sad we couldn't bring Robert to Indiana, but I totally fanboyed out over Robert Putnam. I read Bowling Alone when I was in graduate school and it's really, his work has shaped my own philosophies of how I view and want to approach the world and think critically about the work that we do. So that was one of the major highlights for 2016. I think the other would be this podcast. It's been really great to connect with the two of you in this way and, and develop this relationship, but to also share these conversations with our broader audience. Uh, so many people I've run into who have said, oh, I've, I really loved the last episode of the podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, we have listeners. So for me, that's been really exciting to see that we can share the work that we do through Campus Compact on a different platform and in a different way. If I can just uh, jump in for, for folks who didn't attend the conference, um, when, you know, JR was referring to the fact that, um, that Bob Putnam was the keynote speaker and I just want to throw in a recommendation for people. He, he was talking about his newer work, Our Kids, which really kind of tells the story of what does life look like for kids born on either side of the inequality divide in America. Um, and I feel like in some ways over the course of this year, the, the question of inequality, which had been, I feel like it had emerged in a central way and for various reasons got sort of washed under a lot of other stuff this year, but I do think it, it remains the fundamental fact of our society and of what we need to think about moving forward. And that book, I highly recommend for people who just want to understand how all that plays out in reality. So I agree with you, Jared. That was a major highlight to get to hear from him. And um, But people can also read the book, so you, know, you don't have to miss out. Yeah, it's a great read. How about you, Emily? Well, I 
want to mention the 30th anniversary conference too in particular the t-shirt gun which was oh, yeah. um you know i am living my best life because 2016 involved me catching shirts from a t-shirt gun and this podcast yeah because i think that it's been really fun and and i too have gotten to run into some people who were were listening and meet new people and that's been really cool um and it's just plain fun to do uh but i would have to say you know 2016 was rough in a lot of ways but when i really look back on what was accomplished there's there's a ton and we do annual awards we've been doing that for a couple of years and they are fun but also just a great way to find stories and anecdotes of the kind of stuff we're trying to support and this year we got to give an award to in particular um a doctor in dubuque iowa um, a muslim doctor who uh, has worked with loris college there to establish um, an interfaith group really looking to bring people together across faiths, to have conversations, to serve together and that kind of thing. And it was just a really awesome example and really cool through our awards event to get to um, highlight the contributions that he was making to his community. And that's just something I'm reflecting back on after a lot of the other events of 2016 as a positive way that, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to focus now. And when I think back on what we've been doing, I think we're doing a lot of the things that we need to continue to do. And I've seen great examples of that. And always the thing I'm excited about in any year is the times I get to really see those examples in action. And that's one that stands out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 2017 now, fast forward, and uh, we've got another great year ahead of us. And so just wanted to share some of the things we're looking forward to for that too. So. First, I'm looking forward to Andrew visiting the great state of Iowa in January. That's mutual, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we're having our Civic Action Planning Institute um, January 20th, which I'm very excited about. Uh, But to talk more broadly, um, we've been working on a new, more of a communications campaign to really talk about educating students to be what we're calling civic professionals, which is really... um, people who have these well-rounded skills around critical thinking and communication and working across difference and those kinds of things that are important both to professional success and to active citizenship. And we're just really looking to reach sort of beyond the academic audience and help more of the broader range of stakeholders of higher education. Um, understand the value of that and understand the role that community engaged experiences can have in building those skills and we've been doing a lot of work on that and so I'm very excited to um, to really start rolling that out in 2017. Yeah I'm really excited about we're having our service engagement summit the end of February in Indiana and based on the inclusion work that we have begun to explore in Compact Nation, we have framed our summit around that and we have titled it loosely Race, Class, Privilege and Social Justice. We're bringing in former uh, one of the former guests on Compact Nation podcast, Ashley Ford, as a keynote, as well as Kimberly Dark. Uh, and we're doing framing sessions around that, talking about the work of inclusion con- and, and intersection of social justice and community-based learning. So I'm really excited to to jump into that. I feel like at least in Indiana, this is getting our feet 
kind of wet a little bit going into this. Uh, I've had conversations with Josh Todd in Oregon about having him and his colleague come out and do some deeper uh, day-long workshops with some of our member campuses around that work and how it intersects and with the overall mission that we have. So I'm really looking forward to digging deeper into those conversations. Yeah, that's exciting. And then there's Mexico that I'll throw out too. Oh, right. right. <laughs> I, I'm excited about our national convening in Mexico in June. I think that will be will be exciting. Yeah, I'll leave that there. goes to Mexico. Andrew, any um, previews of that you can share? <laughs> well, I'm I'm excited for the uh, the TV movie called Campus Compact Goes to Mexico, which I think <laughs> is going to be a lot of fun for everybody. Uh, yeah, so that. Uh, our network uh, convenes, uh, so we call it the National Network Leadership Meeting. It's our national board, our national, our sorry, our state board chairs, and our state and regional executive directors all come together once a year. And this year, uh, one of our board members, who Antonio Diacasad, who is the president of the University of Monterrey in Mexico, invited us all to come there. And one of the reasons we were excited about that is Monterey does incredible work in the higher ed K-12, or I guess primary, secondary is a better way to talk about it, uh, partnership space. So that their university just has an amazing array of really uh, intensive connections with primary and secondary education, really targeted uh, at raising up uh, students from low-income families and communities and creating more equal opportunity. And so we thought it was a great place to have the meeting to learn more about what they're doing there uh, and to kind of push those conversations forward. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. And I think it's um, a, yeah, just a really interesting opportunity to kind of put our work up against a kind of different frame and, and reflect on it. Um, yeah, I'm excited about a lot of different things, so I have trouble narrowing it down. And But one of the things I think I'm really excited about is a sense I have from conversations with folks across a range of higher education organizations and on university campuses, et cetera, that we are headed into a moment where higher education really begins to ask itself you know, how we can maximally contribute to sustaining the values of democracy that higher education has a kind of special relation to the, you know, the importance of a diversity of opinion and of the protection of spaces for the articulation of views that might not be popular. And, you know, I think for all kinds of reasons about what's going on in the broader culture, there there's a recognition that higher education institutions have to kind of step up to that challenge. And so I, I think that's a healthy thing. I think it's something that, you know, in, in different kinds of situations one can forget about. And so, I, you know, I think that's that'll be uh, a development that I think we'll start to see in more visible form. And, and I'm excited about that. I, you know, again, I, I'm also, I was talking about the civic action planning processes. One of the things we're going to see is the first wave of these plans will be completed in March, and uh, so I'm just excited to see what our campuses come up with and what new and exciting and innovative strategies we see. We've seen, you know, had some indications from some campuses about approaches that I think are going to be um, just challenging for them to carry out and pushing beyond 
uh, boundaries, opening up the campus in new ways to connections with community. So I'm, I'm excited to see all that unfold. Great. So we're not just going to give you our opinions about 2016 and the year to come, but we also interviewed um, this time actually some of our colleagues from across the country. So we talked to three other state compact directors, um, Leslie Garvin in North Carolina, Julie Plout in Minnesota, and Josh Todd in Oregon, uh, who are doing some very interesting work in our network. And so we wanted to just hear from them and talk a little bit about what they are looking forward to and, and what they've seen this year. So we're going to go to those interviews now and then come back and wrap it up with Pop Culture Corner. It's my pleasure to be joined today by Josh Todd. Josh is Executive Director of Campus Compact of Oregon. He is joining us from the Pacific Northwest portion of Compact Nation here on the Compact Nation podcast. How are you today, Josh? I am cold. It is snowing in Portland. Craziness. This is not supposed to happen. It is, no, it's supposed to be raining, I thought. Yes. This is just a different form of rain, or so I'm told. Yeah, we, it, you know, in Compact Nation, we do believe in breaking down and overcoming various stereotypes. But when it comes to regional weather patterns, I think, you know, conformity to stereotypes is a value we hold. Us too. We, we don't want you coming here. We want people not to move here. It's really rainy. It's awful. It rains all the time. Don't come. It's miserable. Exactly. That's what we, and in Boston, uh, see, we do want people to come, but we, so I think we play down how cold it actually is because it's, it's very <laughs> cold here. Uh, yes. Uh, all right. Well, we are here to talk a little bit about 2016, but only insofar as it informs our understanding of the future. And then we want to talk about the upcoming year. And so, Josh, if I could ask you to reflect back just a little, because I know reflecting too much on 2016 causes many people trauma of various kinds. Um, but what, what is something that your work in, through Campus Compact in Oregon, around the country, that, that you learned through your work that you're carrying forward into the new year? I think something that I'm holding on to and moving forward, um, you know, we obviously have a really um, strategic focus in Oregon and actually in the Pacific Northwest, both Oregon and Washington campus compacts are leading a lot of conversations around racial justice and equity. Um, and I think um, what I am holding on to is the need now more than ever to be having these conversations, but specifically almost kind of going back to our roots um, as civic engagement and service learning advocates around um, really infusing that with the skill set needed to have civil discourse. And I think that's going to be, um, right now, that's where all the, where we're getting questions for trainings and resources is how do we have these conversations in productive ways in the classroom and in our communities. So I think that's what I'll be taking forward into 2017. So j just to, um, to dig a little deeper on that, because I think that's a really interesting point. For you, and I, I say this knowing that you have been doing a lot of really interesting work in your state with, with leadership, with campuses, with communities, et cetera, as you said, on racial justice. Do you, ha, tr sort of true or false, but you know, I, I don't mean to oversimplify, th the main challenge in engaging that work is 
the same thing as the main challenge in building the capacity for civil discourse. Is civil discourse just kind of one tool you need in your tool belt to take on that work, the racial justice work, or is there something central about it? What's the connection between those? Um, well, I'm going to reject the true or false because I'm trying to get away from uh, binary thinking. Um, I think it's both. I think it's all those things. I mean, I think um, civil discourse and the skill set to um, engage and inquiry with those that we disagree with um, is a critical skill, but I don't think it is the only one necessary or even necessarily the primary one needed to do um, racial justice work that really looks at how um, our systems, our institutions, and for us that means both the compact office but also our, our member institutions, how we create um, ways of looking at the world that kind of elevate one way of being um, that don't allow us to, to dig in and, and really assess um, how, do we, how do we create systems and programs and um, opportunities for students and faculty and community members to bring them their full selves. Um, and I know for me that that has meant and where the civil discourse kind of connects back in is um, being willing to, to sit with people that I disagree with um, and, and understand them at a different level. Um, but it also means sitting with myself and doing my own work of understanding how I'm complicit in systems of oppression. Even if I disagree with them and want to break them down, um, I'm a product of them. So that, that is different work, but also as critical. So if, if we do turn our attention forward, uh, what's something you would predict about 2017 and this can be um you know at whatever level of seriousness you you like to take predictions and you can tell us whether you would or wouldn't you know wager on the prediction what's what's something that you're expecting to come down the pike um you know and i i'm really gonna put my hard money um down on this one that i think um the june episode of um the compact podcast will be on the beaches of Mexico and I see margaritas in the future and salt rims. Um, I'm excited for our national gathering at University of Monterey, Mexico. So I'm just putting that out there. I, I expect that uh, we'll be doing these interviews from the beaches uh, in June. I, I like that idea. And again, uh, to just give some backstory to our audience, we have a national network leadership meeting every year where we bring together our state and regional compact board chairs, our uh, executive directors, and our national board and national staff. And yes, we have on our board, uh, Antonio Diacasad, who is president at University of Monterey, an institution that is doing really extraordinary work, uh, especially in the area of partnerships between the university and primary and secondary schools. And so they invited us to come to their university for our meeting and learn about the work they're doing. And so uh, we are, I don't know how close we are actually to the beach, in Monterey, Mexico. There's not a beach, I don't think. Yeah, actually. exactly. But we can create one just for <laughs> that's, that's right. But I'm sure we can still, right, a beach <laughs> in the mind. But we, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm also looking forward to that meeting. It's always a great gathering, but I think that'll be a terrific venue for it as well. Uh, so, okay, that's an important prediction uh, about our network and, and the Compact Nation podcast. And what are some things or, you know, a primary thing or a couple of things that you are really looking forward to in, in the work of Campus Compact of Oregon in the next year? 
Um, well, there, I was going to say I actually have a response for both Oregon, but also Compact Nation. I mean, you know, I think for the last um, two and a half years, we've been leading these executive learning series on, on equity and empowerment. Um, and so we have, we're in the midst of our second cohort right now and have about um, 12 institutions that have been through it and probably about 80 uh, people, including 11 presidents. Um, and what I'm excited about actually is um, getting to the next phase, which is looking at how do we build um, a stronger movement across all of those institutions in Oregon um, that have been doing this work um, specifically around um, where the movement for uh, racial justice is moving, which is really looking at issues of belonging and wholeness and how do we promote racial healing. Um, and I think in this time and in this moment that we are in as a culture, I think it resonates even more around um, how do we promote messages, um, how do we uh, exhibit ways of being that allow um, everyone to feel a sense of belonging to um, this community of higher ed, to this community of Campus Compact. Um, I think it's really critical uh, work, but I also think it's really soul enriching. And so I'm excited for it because um, it just, it always feels good. Um, I think connected um, to that, you know, Campus uh, Compact Nation broadly has taken a really big um, kind of investment in doing this work. And we've been all of the executive directors have been completing a, a specific tool called the Intercultural Development Inventory um, to build our own individual uh, skill set around intercultural competence. Um, and I'm excited as that wraps up kind of where we will be heading in 2017 um, in you know, developing new learning communities, developing uh, different um, opportunities for us to engage with each other and kind of build our, uh, our skill set together around these issues. It's nice to see Compact Nation as a whole kind of bringing these issues to the forefront um, and sharing together. I mean, it's one of the best things about uh, this network is just the wealth of knowledge and the connection across the country um, in all kinds of institutions of, of higher education. Um, so I'm excited for that richness of learning. Um, the work we do in Oregon, I think, is really powerful, um, but it's especially important and powerful to be engaging across the country and thinking about this from regional perspectives and um, different institutional settings. So I'm excited for that. I think it's going to be really exciting. Well, I'll say, as you know, Josh, I had the opportunity to meet uh, a number of the presidents and other institutional leaders who've been participating in the these learning opportunities that you were just talking about that you've been uh, leading for your members in Oregon, and it was really striking to me the 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 way that uh, in reflecting on that experience, the learning experience, folks who had been you know these are very experienced higher education leaders that they were saying really for the first time in their career uh, their thinking about racial justice issues, equity issues had been fundamentally changed, and that they were putting that into practice in very direct ways in, in the way they were moving their institutions forward. And so the idea, as you were just saying, of uh, intentionally kind of building up a level that kind of across institutions and across the sector of higher education, that I think is a really, that is an invigorating kind of opportunity to imagine. And if we can be supporting that work, I think we're doing, you know, the kind of thing we were created to do, which is to help sustain our democracy and its fundamental values. And I think that's exactly what's going on with the work you're doing. 
So I look forward to 2017 as well. Yeah, Compact Nation. There we go. Uh, all right. Well, I thank you for taking the time to join me today, Josh, on Compact Nation podcast and look forward to continuing the work together in 2017. Absolutely. Thanks, Andrew. All right, everybody, I have the pleasure this month of interviewing um, one of my absolute favorite Campus Compact State directors. I have Julie Plout on the line with me, and I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit first. Well, thank you, Emily, and the appreciation is mutual. Um, I'm Julie Plout. I'm the Executive Director of Minnesota Campus Compact, and I have been in the role for about seven and a half years, but also worked in other roles as program director and associate director at the state level, as well as uh, director of academic initiatives for a little while at the National Campus Compact Office. Yeah, so how long in total have you been in the Campus Compact universe? <laughs> well, <laughs> 18 years in uh, full-time work, essentially, with the Campus Compact Network, and uh, Way back in the summer of 1990, when I was in college, I spent a summer interning at Cool, and that was a time when the Ford Foundation had given grants both to Cool and to Campus Compact separately to create service learning grant programs. And so I've been in the orbit even longer, but uh, at that time, I thought Cool was kind of the, well, Cool organization and Campus Compact was the man, you know? So it's kind of funny that I've been working uh, in this in this organization that as a student I saw as valuing student voice less than the one I was involved in. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that's a long time to be able to, you know, see how kind of how things have kind of changed and evolved. Um, is there one thing that stands out in terms of what you've seen change and evolve in that time? Well, I am not very good at defining one, choosing one <laughs> thing. That is not my strength. Um, but I think, you know, part of uh, what I think has excited me over time is how we've shifted um, from a focus on specific kinds of activities and this idea that we need to do particular kinds of activities to it being this deeper focus on outcomes and on integration, both at the institutional level and also at the individual level, really thinking of this not as an ethic of service alone, sort of volunteer service, but really about a civic mindset and skills that influence everything we do as professionals and members of communities and families and so forth. Um, so real integration at the individual level and also at the institutional level, having this vision of an engaged campus where it's not only about engaging students through courses and work study positions and student clubs and other things, but also about how does the whole institution operate, what's its culture, um, what are its policies and practices, and how are they contributing to community well-being and democracy. Um, so I think uh, that's been the big trend that has uh, kept me always learning and um, excited about the potential for change that comes with this movement. I think you did a pretty good job picking one thing. Yeah. <laughs> one big thing, really big thing. So for our January podcast, we're just trying to look ahead at 2017 and talk to a couple of different people about what that might look like, what people should be watching for, thinking about that kind of thing. Um, 
And that kind of requires looking back too. So you've, you just kind of talked about the big trajectory you've seen. What would you say is the most interesting thing you learned about higher ed community engagement in 2016? Um, well, one of the uh, activities that really uh, showed us the power of asset-focused strategic conversations was uh, civic action planning with we, did, we worked with 24 campus teams over the course of 2016 um, who came together to think about how they could deepen their work to advance the goals in the National Action Statement. And there were just so many moments where people who didn't often get the chance to sit down and reflect and strategize together realize new possibilities like um, I mean, and, and sometimes it's really simple. One campus I can think of, they had three different engaged centers that were represented as part of the team, and they each reported to a different senior administrator at the campus. And they had always thought, saw that, seen that as a um, barrier to collaboration and to common sort of planning and um, collaborative work with partners. But they realized as we were talking there that they could see that as a strength where they actually had the ears of all the top administrators. And so they could kind of work with each of those leaders and with each other to have a, a larger vision and purpose and communication about this work um, that could build in a different way than if they pursued their work separately, which is what they intended to do, even though they had good relationships and were on the same floor together. Um, and so there were just lots of moments where um, having these conversations revealed possibilities or leverage points to people because they were not always, you know, we were specifically encouraging them not to think about always doing more but to think about how they could build on their existing strengths and align and enhance their work that way. I love that. And I love, it's been an inspiration to me how much I've seen you focus on an asset-based framework for things. And I think it truly can make a huge difference in terms of how people see their work and the possibilities. And so that's a great example of that. And it's um, not always easy to do yeah. that, you know, and I think, as we've talked, you know, just in recent months, as people have been wrestling with the aftermath of the election, one faculty member who's been very involved with civic engagement also said to me, she was exhausted by how much talk there'd been about struggle and um, fear and so forth. And not that those aren't real, but she said, I want to be thinking about what the opportunities are in this moment. And that is what will keep me um, what will sustain me, what will allow me to think about what's required of me and my work now. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not always easy. But. Yeah. yeah, and there are, are real deficits and real struggles, like you said, but thinking about, so what then do we do about those? It's just a different framework sometimes. Right. So what's one prediction you have for 2017 or just where you see the field moving in a way um, that interests you? Well, we just had a board meeting yesterday and the board had some really rich conversation about what's required of us now and what is needed um, in 2017. And one, one of the board members who 
recalled being bused uh, to desegregated schools in the, as a young person, said she, as she was thinking about, so what do colleges and universities need to do now? She was saying that she thinks we've relied on legislation more than conversation to drive change in the US in the past, say, four decades. And so she was really emphasizing, and others um, very much agreed with her, the importance of conversations across differences, um, which, again, isn't always easy, um, but it, it just feels as important um, as ever. And, you know, another chancellor said, you know, do we need to be thinking about inclusion in some different ways as well and recognize the whole variety of people who have felt left out, who feel their voices aren't heard, who feel they might not have full power and opportunity in our society, and how do we sort of hear each other's experiences and perspectives in a way that allows us to continue learning and, you know, perhaps finding common values where we don't expect to see them, um, finding common priorities for change and uh, skills that allow us to work together. We're not, you know, another president was saying, we're not all going to agree. It's just the reality, but we have to live in community together and we have to be able to um, sort of live out the values that we care about, have a, have a strong democracy, have, a sh have shared prosperity and opportunity for education, understanding of really complicated issues. Um, and so they just, you know, I think the emphasis on conversation and dialogue mm -hmm. is something that we're going to be living out in 2017 at all levels. So our, we're going to be convening a conversation with presidents and chancellors about this. We'll have it be a, a big focus for our annual summit. I think lots of workshops on campuses and uh, resources to share around how we deepen sort of conversation and dialogue and see that as action, right? Sometimes we think of civic action more as, uh, you know, volunteering with a nonprofit, protesting, organizing a campaign, you know, all kinds of um, actions that are, are critically important, but conversation is also an action and mm -hmm. often can under, undergird. I mean, and one of the things in Minnesota that um, inspired me is uh, the vote no campaigns around marriage equality and voter ID um, in Minnesota that succeeded, you know, these vote no campaigns succeeded because people had thousands and thousands of conversations and they were trained in having these conversations, um, which could be difficult. They partly were sharing core messages that had been researched um, to be effective. And so, you know, I guess despite the, what the president said, legislation and conversation aren't always separate um, things, but just a reminder that conversation can can be a powerful um, action. Absolutely, I've heard a lot of talk about that as well, focus on dialogue. And I think, you know, so much of the advocacy we've encouraged in people in recent years has been online. You know, we want people taking action online and I think that is important, but it also kind of misses the ways in which you can take action in everyday conversation and people not necessarily feeling equipped to do that um, and to move beyond debate. So I think that's, yeah, I'm interested in that as well. So what would you say you're most excited about for 2017? Ooh, you know, I think it is, 
in some ways because, and maybe it relates to the fact that I've been doing this a long time. I still feel like 2017 is going to stretch me and stretch other people who like, we cannot be complacent. We can't um, just do what we've been doing and think that's enough or think that that's effective enough. Um, so I guess I feel a new sense of, um, or a, I don't know, a heightened sense of purpose and urgency and, um, and also even just the need to be courageous about living in the tensions mm -hmm. of, um, you know, just the things aren't necessarily simple. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's, uh, I don't know if that's, if that's very um, clear, but I guess the other, you know, another thing that I'm excited about is just uh, supporting the follow-up to the civic action planning. Like I said, we've worked with all these campus teams to think about how they can deepen and align their work. And so part of it is um, supporting them and making that real. Yeah, well, I'm always up for anything where, you know, people are taking action, implementing their plans. Um, but to your other point, I think the tension piece is critical. And I guess for me, I'm thinking about the same thing. And in reference to a lot of the things I want to be an advocate on, there isn't necessarily a perfect way for me to be an advocate. And there definitely isn't a way for me to be an advocate without making mistakes. Right. <laughs> and I think that's something we all need to get more comfortable with is just that that there are going to be mistakes and you're going, if you're having conversations, then you're sometimes going to say the wrong thing in those conversations. Right. And part of what has been uh, influential to me this last year, not only was the asset-based framework, but also this building the field model of community engagement that at the center um, focuses on identity, culture, uh, relationships, power, and healing. And I think, um, it has been important to me personally, as well as to the campuses that we've worked with that we've talked about increasing our attention to those things. Again, it's not just about action, it's also about who we are and what shapes us. And um, so I think, you know, I'm one of those people who probably has a lot of good girl energy. Um, I've wanted to be good and smart and um, that's helped me accomplish things, but it also sometimes makes me probably more afraid of m making mistakes than um, is needed if I'm going to be a, a courageous leader. And so, you know, there's also a lot of writing around white fragility and um, that tension between wanting to be seen as good and as an ally um, and fear about making mistakes. So it just is something where uh, I think living in the tensions, accepting, <laughs> accepting the challenge and the um, the understanding of what has shaped us and what what shapes other people and and developing continuing to develop all of our capacities for um, work in that in that spirit. Very good. Well, it was great to talk to you as always. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and I look forward to working with you on all of those things in 2017. As do I. Thanks so much, Emily. You're the best. I was going to frame a little bit for our listeners how you and I know each other. Our uh -oh. our paths in Compact Nation have paralleled 
over time, Leslie and I were both hired as associate directors for our state compacts in the 2005-2006 academic year. And we both attended the, the state director's meeting in January of 2006 in New Mexico on behalf of our state directors and that's how we met each other and we've stayed in contact over time as associate directors and then both of our directors resigned around the same time <laughs> back in 2014 and Leslie and I both were asked by our boards to serve as interim state directors and we both served pretty much the same time frame as interim before mm -hmm. both of our boards hired us as the full-time executive directors. And here we are today in 2016. So I, wow. feel like, I feel like our paths have paralleled in so many ways. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, it's been really exciting to, um, to have a sojourner <laughs> as, <laughs> as we've gone through this whole process. It's been really exciting. It has been exciting to see compact nation grow over time it's been fun i think to have someone like you who has been in the same amount of time that i have and we've seen where we've been where we're headed and and such and so that's been great to have that partner in that way mm -hmm. um i'm curious to know as we look back on 2016 for you as a state director and someone who is a leader in many ways in the community engagement movement and higher education. What were some highlights for you this past year? Wow. Um, well, obviously off the top, it would be um, Campus Compact's 30th anniversary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that that was um, such an awesome sort of point in time to, to say, you know, we've really we've done this, we've sustained this movement, we've, we've matured, we've, we've grown up as a field, um, and to see everybody come together in Boston um, last March, I think was really exciting. Um, I would also say that really that the high point for me was, was the development of the action statement. Um, I think many of us had been using the president's declaration for a long time, mm -hmm. um, and I think that it had some really um, powerful statements and some important um, values listed within it, but there were some pieces missing um, mm -hmm. very clearly, very obviously, and I think that this whole process of developing the new action statement, I know that in our state, it was really a great time for me to sort of talk to my member presidents and ask them what kind of commitments they would like to make. And then to see it roll up into, you know, sort of what ended as these five statements or these five commitments and to have language in there like just equitable and sustainable future, you know, being one of our goals is I think um, that was just really a profound moment for me because I think Many of us had been talking about these things and thinking about them for a long time, but I think, I don't know what that saying is about, um, you know, a plan is just a wish until it's written down. Yeah. Um, and so I think when you have these guiding statements, you're able to um, not just claim them, but really be guided by them and directed by them. So I think that was, that for me was just a, a really big moment to unveil the action statement and, mm -hmm. and to see the kind of language that, and commitments that were in there. And I agree. You know, the president's declaration was great, like you said, but it was really dated. It was put out when? 99, 98, 99 <laughs> around that time. So, yeah. I mean, that's 
that's a that's a while ago. I mean, that's almost twenty years ago, and I would agree with you. I think the updated language makes a lot of sense, and I think it's good because even though we looked at part of our role as Compact Nation to help push forward um, inclusivity on campuses and to talk about this work in that way because it is so social justice focused, but I'm not sure that sometimes our presidents always saw the work that way or some of our CSDs too. Um, so to see those come together today in that form, I think is really good and that we're making a bold statement as Compact Nation to say, these are our values and we wanna work with our campuses for them to determine their best path forward. Right. around this work. So I think that's exciting, mm -hmm. too. And honestly, I think for some of our campuses um, who, you know, we, we both know that, that they're all at different levels of establishing the work on their campus. And so I was most excited for my campuses where this is a newer movement for them, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, thinking about community engagement as a field and um, really trying to create the infrastructure for the work. I'm excited for them because they've got these guiding principles from the beginning. You know, yes. I think for so many, they sort of came to that over time. You know, it was more about, well, let's look at academic service learning and integrating it into the curriculum. And let's look at, um, you know, discipline-based um, ways of serving and, and just really uh, establishing it from that framework. And uh -huh. then over time, I think people backed into saying, what is this really about? Like, this is about social change. This is about justice. This is about equity. And so I'm excited for, um, have a couple of new campuses who from day one, you know, are saying, this is what this is about. This is yeah. about transforming our communities and economic inequality and social inequality and, and how we can um, build our democracy. And so I, I'm just excited that they'll have that language to reference from as they build the work. Yeah, I agree. What is coming up for you in 2017? Yeah, it's our 15th anniversary as a compact. Yay! So. <laughs> That's awesome. It is really exciting. It, um, I mean, you know, it's a labor of love, and um, so many of our presidents have been committed from day one. In fact, um, our founding president, Leo Lambert, who's the president of Elon University, which actually hosts our state office, um, he's still the president. Um, so I'm excited about his legacy, you know, to be able wow. to celebrate um, his vision. And actually several of our charter member presidents are still around. So to sort of celebrate their commitment and their ongoing dedication to this, um, I think is not just exciting for us, but I think it's a really great model for other presidents to see. Uh -huh. um, I also, of course, you know, the, the folks that every day are doing this work are what we call CEA, civic engagement administrator, civic engagement professionals, mm -hmm. um, to even give them a chance to stop and, and acknowledge all the hard work and, and that together we've really built uh, something lasting. And so we're really excited about our 15th anniversary. And um, as part of that, we, we will have our seventh annual President's Forum where we bring together presidents and chancellors. Um, and so I think it's gonna be just an exciting day and, and it's really gonna be a time we're creating a, a video a 15th anniversary video. Um, and it's so interesting because when we started that process, I think I had some ideas about having a lot of administrators and presidents and a lot of people talking about what the value of the work is. But then 
we had our student conference in November and we had quite a few student leaders um, that we actually tapped to be part of the video, just testing the waters to see if that would be of any value. And I literally almost cried <laughs> listening to them talk about what this work means to them. You know, mm -hmm. some of the questions we asked um, had to do with what, are, what have you learned? And the things that they shared about how getting out of their comfort zone on their campus and meeting people who were um, from different backgrounds or people who were from similar backgrounds, which gave them the opportunity to sort of share their story and inspire other youth to aspire to college. And um, they talked about cultural competency and they talked about confidence. And um, for many of them, it changed their career outlook. For some, it um, opened their eyes to the injustices in the world. And, and so just hearing them talk about the value of the work, um, of course, caused us to reframe the entire uh -huh. video. Um, and we're going to have student voice be the lead for it. Because at the end of the day, you know, that's we're trying to transform the world by um, not just the resources and knowledge on our campuses, but really creating civic leaders who are going to graduate and and impact the world and, and what they talked about even for their future goals was was so inspiring so just That's really excited about our 15th anniversary and these voices that are rising and the impact of the work yeah that's really awesome it's it's so interesting because we're often framed as a president's organization and i mean that's true in the sense that the presidents are involved and uh, bringing their campuses on board. They're involved in these conversations. And I think it's really awesome that we get to work with presidents in that way to help them rethink the way their institutions approach this work and how they work with their communities. But I agree with you that it's really about the students, right? Because right. When, when, when we do our work, we're developing students uh, in a way that's going to propel them forward into their work as community-engaged citizens, mm -hmm. citizens who care about our democracy and how we work together. And, and I think that's what's really special because the students, nine times out of 10, are not going to go back into higher education <laughs> as right. a profession to work, right? You know, right. And even though we're so much about higher ed community engagement, it's really about developing the students who go on to be leaders in their own communities beyond the walls of academia. And I, I think that's really special. I think you do amazing work in North Carolina with students. I know at least here in Indiana, I feel like we don't do enough for students. We're so faculty focused, which is really good. And sometimes I look at the work you're doing with students and I'm like, that's where we need to be. So kudos to you for, for the environment you've developed. Well, thank you. And um, it is inspiring to get together with the students each year. And um, if I can just tell you quickly, one yeah. of the most inspiring stories that we heard um, was a student who was a physics major. <laughs> and she said, you know, so I was a little nervous when I was talking to her, you know, so how does this fit with your academic goals? And did it change those goals? And in fact, she said, absolutely not. She says, I am absolutely going to pursue physics she says but what I've gained from this process of being engaged in the community is problem solving she mm -hmm. said I know how to look 
at any situation and sort of analyze it and try to look at the root causes. And, and she said, and all of that I'll be able to bring into my work as a physicist, mm -hmm. but then I'll also be a physicist who is civically aware who recognizes the implications of my work and, um, you know, the long-term implications. And it was just really profound to me because I'll be honest, I think sometimes I um, see this work in terms of the students that are receptive to it or that are most impacted as those who, you know, want to go off somewhere and, and be an activist or be an advocate or do something in the nonprofit mm -hmm. sector or, um, and just the recognition that, that this, this, these, these, um, the skills and the knowledge that you gain from being civically aware or civically engaged are transferable in any, in any mm -hmm. field. And I mean, we say that, but to see her sort of talk about, yeah, to see her say that was just really, really inspiring to me. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I feel like sometimes the business students, the hard science students, those are the, the ones that are not the easiest to tap. Uh, I think we naturally gravitate toward the humanities and education and social work mm -hmm. in so many ways because it's such a, a mission fit. But mm -hmm. that's a great story to hear someone who is a student that we typically don't work with to say this is how it impacted me and will change my car career. I think mm -hmm. that's that's really uh, amazing to hear to hear that it's hopeful <laughs> it is it really is especially you know today <laughs> right <laughs> I, I don't think we need to to say as much as we need to say about that but i mean it, when i just look around you know at everything that's happened in the last year in the last couple of years really as a society as a nation mm -hmm. um i'm more and more convinced that everywhere there need to be people who um in whatever field whatever community rural urban whatever race, racial um, composition of that community, ethnic, socioeconomic, we have to be sending students out into the world who, um, who have this social consciousness mm -hmm. in order for us to um, become a more perfect union. Right. <laughs> I guess the way to say that. Yeah. It, it's a reminder to me that this work matters. I think maybe you can attest to this as well. Sometimes as a state director, it can be almost overwhelming the amount of work that we do, the number of committees we sit on. And sometimes <laughs> I feel like I lose sight of where are we headed, right? What what are we doing? Um, and then it's stories like that from that student, or we see our campuses signing these civic action plans and putting them into to motion and just the conversations like we're having today that remind me how important our work really is mm -hmm. to build a democracy democracy and I think that that is what's going to keep me going into 2017 what mm -hmm. are some of your hopes for the new year I would say my greatest hope is that we as a field will double down on our efforts um, recognizing just how relevant and how vital what we're doing is now mm -hmm. in the context of, um, again, the last couple of years, you know, everything from, you know, issues around police and community relationships and um, race relations and immigration and, of course, you know, the bitter and contentious 
election. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the work we've been doing for the last couple of years in the field to elevate some of the practices that are sort of beyond the classroom, things like um, civic dialogue. I know we've done a lot of work in North Carolina around deliberative dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're doing more, and of course you know about this, um, around civic storytelling. Yes. This notion of bringing people together um, at the table who have very divergent ways of thinking and experiences and um, and just trying to help them see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <clears throat> political engagement. I think in my early years, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well, it wasn't necessarily a, a key part of our framing of our work. Mm-hmm. And um, I know at least here in North Carolina since 2008, we have at least each presidential cycle stepped up our our efforts around political engagement. Um, And we're really committed after this last cycle of of really ramping up our efforts in that way. So uh, in between those four years and really um, looking more at at civic knowledge Mm -hmm. as, as a part of our work. So I know we're partnering with the Institute of Political Leadership here in North Carolina to host a civic leadership training for students where we're going to, in the morning, talk about the traditional sort of civic pathways. You know, there's this whole spectrum of ways you can be engaged from service to policy change. Um, And then in the afternoon, we're going to talk about politics, Mm -hmm. trying to help understand about how government works, how politics work. Um, Because I think we're only kidding ourselves if we think we can do one without the other. Right. If we can serve and, and help others and yet not change the underlying structures and the policy and the politics of it all. So mm-hmm. um, so I'm really hopeful that these things that have been trickling up in our field where we've um, talked more about the importance of critical service learning, right, and looking at social structures and um, asset framing and um, that it'll just all kind of come together at this, you know, time when it needs to, you know, that this convergence will happen, whereas a field will um, sort of deepen our commitment to all those different pathways and really work to transform the thinking of our students, of our campuses, and um, and hopefully do that in partnership with our communities. So I'm just really hopeful. I am too. 2017, I feel like, will be the year for our field and for Compact Nation to, as you said, double down and, and, and do this work well and in deeper, more meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And, and, and also, I think, um, I think we've done the work for a while about what does real partnership mean? You know, mm-hmm. what is reciprocity? How do we really work with our communities in a way that's um, equitable and just? And um, and so I really think this is the time. <laughs> this is the time for us to, to be in partnership and in community and, um, and to hopefully bring voices to the table that haven't been at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Leslie Garvin, thank you so much for your time. I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. Uh, but I always appreciate each moment I get to learn from and with you. 
to be reciprocal because that's what our work's all about. And I just enjoy each moment we get to sit down and chat together. So thank you so much for contributing to Compact Nation podcast. Thank you, JR. Okay, everybody, we're back. We hope you enjoyed that little bit of some of the other wonderful people that we have in the Compact Nation. And we're going to close it out today with Pop Culture Corner as usual. And um, JR, I think you have something you wanted to start with. I do. So the new Star Wars movie, Star Wars Rogue One, opened this week. And to celebrate the opening of that movie, which I'll add a disclaimer, I have not seen yet. However... Think about the interviews that we did with Leslie and Julie and Josh and the common themes around that and um, the excitement of our work moving forward. Uh, I heard from all of them talking about how this is our time. We have to take opportunities in this moment. We have to be courageous about living in the tensions and allow room for mistakes. And we think about how our work intersects with all of those items It relates back to Rogue One and the popular Star Wars saying, may the force be with you or us. And that's all I have. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a nice sentiment. And I think I will have seen that by the time people listen to this podcast. But since you brought up movies, I never miss an opportunity to talk about my favorite holiday movies because I think that... Um, holiday movies are just a good chance to restore your faith in humanity and and your belief in your purpose. Every year we watch um, Love Actually and It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol with George C. Scott specifically. And um, I cry at the ends of every single one of those movies. (laughs) (laughs) But also feel like the things that I think are important in life, um, the re- you know relationships and those kinds of things are reinforced in all three of those movies. And so the kinds of connections and, and those kinds of things that we're trying to build in our work are reinforced in those movies. I don't know. Do you guys have favorite holiday movies? I, I have to say, I think maybe predictably, based on conversations we've had, I, I don't really have any connection to any holiday movies, even though I like movies a lot. It's like, um, I think some of it is like growing up Jewish, you know, maybe you're not quite as drawn to the Christmas focused movies, uh, you know, so I, I'm I'm thrilled that my fellow human beings uh, find wonder and support in them. But, you know, for me, I just uh, not it's not my uh, my wheelhouse. <laughs> do you jr i i do well it made me think about adam sandler's hanukkah song and i wanted to ask andrew if he connected <laughs> with that Although i, I love that i totally <laughs> connect with that the first time i heard that i was like that is my world thank you you have ca- i you know when i was a kid i knew every jewish or even marginally jewish sports star I knew, yeah, no, that that list of like who's Jewish was incredibly important to me as a kid. So I, I love that song. So yeah, okay, that's my equivalent of a holiday movie. There you go. And, and he calls out that list in the song too. It goes through that. Yeah, I, uh, oh, yeah. I, I do have some connections to Christmas, and I guess you could say holiday 
movies, probably mine would be A Christmas Story, just because it takes place in Indiana. Uh, the, the author who wrote that book that turned into the movie is from Indiana, and it's set in Griffith, Indiana, which is an actual town, although the movie was actually filmed in Toledo, Ohio. But I think the connection to that really is just place and that it takes place in Indiana and and that's where I am. So there's that connection. But I do. I mean, when I watch a good holiday movie, I get that feeling of like I may or may not cry and I get the extra feeling of like this is what it's about and giving. But I wouldn't say I have a super strong connection. Now, when Harry Met Sally, which some will say is a New Year's Eve movie, is one of my favorites. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Hadn't crossed my mind that that was a holiday movie, but I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and if it is, I can, I can get in on uh, having a connection to a holiday <laughs> movie. In fact, I learned for totally random reasons that I won't go into last night that, you know the famous line, I'll have what she's having in that oh, movie? Oh, yeah. Uh, that was the, uh, the actress who said that was Carl Reiner's wife, Rob Reiner's mother. Mm. She played that role. She's mostly a singer, I guess, but she, you know, acted in that movie. So wow. that's a little tip for you. Uh, my, my, but what's my, your my, actual pop culture contribution, My Andrew. pop culture chops, they're really on display today, so you're getting a full sense. My actual pop culture corner is kind of a thin read uh, that I'm going to hang another thing on, which is I recently was on an airplane uh, for a very long time, flying to and then back from Hong Kong. And actually, the flight... To Hong Kong also involved a passenger totally losing control and having to be handcuffed to a seat, and we made an emergency stop in Japan. It was a little complicated, but I remember we were on the plane for a very long time, and I binge-watched, both on the way there and then on the way back, the first season of Game of Thrones. So, so my pop culture involves pop culture circa 2011 or something, uh, but it does mean I was introduced to the phrase, winter is coming, so that seemed... Uh, appropriate, but also I thought it was an excuse just to talk about why I was in Hong Kong, which is uh, that I was attending the second international service learning conference at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. And what was interesting, I mean, there was a lot that was interesting about that experience. I had never been to Hong Kong before. I'd been to mainland China. And so actually just seeing the differences was really fascinating. Um, but also, you know, this was a conference that drew primarily from Asia. There were about 20 countries represented, some from the U.S. There was uh, some folks from Argentina, but then mostly uh, various Asian countries. And just really um, hearing people who are doing, you know, closely related work, but in very different contexts, talking about what they're doing, the challenges they're facing, something sounding intensely familiar and like, you know, you have those moments where you're like, wow, it doesn't matter when, whether you're in the U.S. or in mainland China or in Singapore, there's some commonalities. And then, you know, other things where you realize actually context matters enormously and, uh, you know, the, the vocabulary, the values, the practices, the kinds of challenges, um, the forms of difference that are relevant in different places all just look quite different across countries and cultures. And so it was a, it was a really great experience. I gave a keynote and had the opportunity to talk a little bit about the history of this work in the U.S. and about kind of the major things we're taking on. But then also, you know, for me, uh, I, I learned a ton more than, than I'm sure anybody learned from me. And uh, it, was, it was a really terrific experience. Well, that's exciting. 
I mean, even if only tangentially related to pop culture, it's still interesting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a, there's a lot of people in Hong Kong, so I guess it's um, there is a lot of popular culture in Hong Kong for sure. It's definitely for there. Sure. We visited sure. the uh, the Big Buddha, which is this I don't know how tall it is, like hundred and something foot tall Buddha on the top mm-hmm. of a, of a peak, and a lot of people go there. So I guess that's part of pop culture. Mm. Well, there you go, pop culture, history, all ki- all kinds of stuff wrapped into one. Yeah, cool. perfect. Good. Well, it's been great to talk to you guys as always. Thank everyone for continuing to listen. And uh, make sure to remember to connect with us on social media. Um, if you use hashtag CompactNationPod, we will take your suggestions, ideas, all kinds of stuff, criticisms, whatever you got. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also email podcast at compact.org. Um, so we hope to hear from you in 2017, and we hope you'll continue listening. We didn't talk about what we have planned for the podcast, but we do have a lot of exciting episodes in the works. So we'll be back in February with one of those. Happy New Year to uh, both of you and to all our listeners. Here's to 2017. Compact Nation is produced by Naval Mahdi at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, on behalf of Campus Compact and its network of 1,100 colleges and universities across the United States. To learn more about Campus Compact, check it out online at compact.org. Hey, Habiba. What does a pig think of the Compact Nation podcast?